Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I don't pick the songs for the service, but I asked to do so this week so I could pick songs that wouldn't make me cry. And it didn't work, unfortunately. And so I'm still in the process of growing and being comfortable with who I am now um, because I believe this is the man that God has made me to be. And, And I know, I understand the struggle of not liking who you are, right? Um, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, we're, we, let's raise awareness of it. How we do? We, we do it by talking about it, by, by talking about it in a real way and, 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 and breaking down, destroying sacred cows if need be, right? Butchering those cows and throwing them in the smoker, come on, right? And having some good old brisket with it or beef ribs, whatever it may be. I mean, just let's tear those things down that we've, we've heard and we've understood to be truths that are actually just cliches that aren't actually biblical, right? And through the day, let me just go and say some things that for us Christians, especially us Baptists, if you've been a Baptist all your life like me, um, then concepts like self-care and self-love are bad things. And because, I mean, there's just this tension inside of us because there's the Holy Spirit convicting us and, and trying to teach us that, you know what, you do need to take care of yourself, right? You are valued and loved by God, so you should love yourself. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying that we are to make ourselves the most important person in the world. I'm not saying that. But if we're to take care of other people, we need to take care of ourselves as well. Right? And so we've got these sacred cows, so to speak, these sayings in Christianity and in the Baptist world that, uh, you know, nobody has a problem with self-esteem. That's garbage. And nobody has a problem loving themselves. That's, that's garbage. And we say things like that. It says, well, you, you got up in the morning and you, you put on your makeup and you did your hair and you got yourself dressed and that means you love yourself. You have no problem loving yourself. That's, that's not true. And just like a man like Mike Weaver could look himself, look at himself in the mirror and just be disgusted with what he looks like, there's believers struggling all across America and good churches just like this, just struggling with looking in the mirror. It's like, man, I just do not like what I see in the mirror, right? And so we swing the pendulum thinking that it's spiritual to not consider ourselves over, all the way over to self-hate, and that's where the real crazy making really occurs. There's a balance somewhere, and I'd like to hope to try to strike that balance. And so this morning, we're going to look at the decline, all right? Why we go downhill, why we go down into this pit of depression, and tonight we're going to look at the climb out of it, all right? So you have to, you have to be a part of both parts or you'll fall apart and be messed up for the rest of your life, all right? 
Fear-mongering is okay, right? You know, that's, that's what we've been doing these last couple of years, right? But I encourage you to be back here. I mean, you want to hear the good part. And we'll look at a, a, you know, some of these concepts that help us climb out of this decline or, or keep us from declining. And, and we'll talk about some self-care. For those of you who are not, still not comfortable with that, spiritual self-care, whatever you want to call it, all right? And, um, and we'll look at those things. Um, and, uh, and hope to just be a help. And, and if you struggle with depression, a lot of these things, they're going to resonate with you. And some of these things, if you're like me, they're just, they're going to sting a little bit as you hear them, right? It's just, we have, some of us have some scars, right? A lot of us have physical scars. I've had three back surgeries. And so I have some scars that can be still sensitive, right? And there's such thing as emotional scars. You realize that. Let's not minimize the truth of emotional scars. And sometimes those emotional scars get touched, and it hurts a little bit, right? But then we remember it's just a scar. A scar means we're done with that part, right? And it's easy to just keep looking at the scars like, man, it was so horrible back then. I get it. It was hard. It was tough. I know. Mental Health Awareness Month. In the, let me appeal to my, my Gen Xer friends, right? In the 80s, growing up in the 80s, 80s was... That was kind of a messed up decade, right? You look back at your old yearbooks and everything was kind of in triangles, upside down triangles, all of fashion, right? Big old shoulder pads coming down here. You know, hairstyles, big hairstyles were the thing. Remember Aquanet? <laughs> Aquanet made your hair bulletproof, right? It just made your hair, you had big, you know, just go, go big with the hair, all that stuff. And, and I remember in the 80s, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and admit it, I was a Michael Jackson fan. I could, uh, you know, Thriller. Um, you know, beat it, all those things. Hate to be a stumbling block, right? Some of you younger ones are like, Michael Jackson, really? It's like, yeah, really, we all did. <laughs> you would have too, all right? I had my moonwalk down. I've actually, I've still got it down. I'm just kidding. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I still got a pretty good robot, but now I'm not, <laughs> I've hurt myself with the moonwalk, right? And so it was always a struggle growing up when we get into the, uh, the, the Dodge caravan, minivan, and, and my dad was really into country music, and of course, me and my, my sisters, we wanted to hear Michael Jackson or, or, or the original boy band, New Edition. Where are my Gen Xers at, right? Remember New Edition? Come on, cool it now. Let's go, right? But there was one song that was pretty okay for whatever reason. It was acceptable in the country music station. It was, it was kind of weird, but at the same time, I was like, this is kind of cool. Grandpa? <laughs> Come on, that's all right. Tell me about the good old days, right? Naomi Judd just died, 76 years old. And she was open with her struggle with, with depression and mental health for a long time. She even wrote a book about her struggle with depression and even her healing from depression. And her family just put out a statement that she died of the disease of mental illness. And, I think we know what they're saying, right? And I think we could all name high-profile people, celebrities, these people that have it all, right? They shouldn't have a, a trouble in the world, right? I think we could all name even high-profile pastors, people in, minister, in ministry who just lost any glimmer of hope in life and just ended it all, right? One in five U.S. adults will struggle with mental illness. 
One in 25 will struggle with major mental illness, and that's in the sense of being completely debilitating, maybe possibly having to go into a disability or take time off of work, things like that, or maybe much like me, I had to go into a career change, so to speak, where as Pastor mentioned in the video, I, I left the ministry after 22 years of serving full-time in church. I thought I was broken in the bad way. I, I, di I didn't know if I could preach again. I didn't know if I could sing publicly again. I just, I just thought I was too physically messed up to go on, and I, I left the ministry. One in six young people struggle with depression. The second leading cause of death in people between the ages of 10 and 34, the second leading cause of death is suicide. It's suicide. And so Mental Health Awareness Month, how do we, how do we bring awareness to that? We, we talk about it, right? We share our stories. We share our stories of struggle and victory and even relapse. Been there. And then victory again. And we share our stories. And we push away our, our, our tendency towards judgmental thinking by replacing it with curiosity. Right? We're judgmental when, we, when we're at a place where we think we know how things should be. We think we know the answers, and we hear something from somebody else, and we believe they're wrong. That's judgmental. But how about we can push away being judgmental by replacing it with curiosity? How about instead of deciding you already know how a believer should react to depression or anxiety, and how about instead of making that decision right away, you've never been depressed, you've never been in therapy, you've never experienced deep trauma, how about be curious instead, right? And here's the, for me, here's the fascinating thing with believers, well-meaning believers, they'll right away um, uh, bemoan the idea of therapy, and they've never seen a therapist before. Never seen a therapist. And then they'll bemoan it right away. How about instead of going to snap judgment, how about we be curious? How about we learn? So mental health aware. How about, so, so very, very shortly, the, the hashtag break the stigma is really going to start to trend, right? Can we break the stigma? I've always been a really positive person. I don't think you last in youth ministry, full-time youth ministry, for 18 years without being a very positive person, right? For me, the glass was always three-quarters full, always. I believe the stigma of depression and anxiety can be broken. We're well on our way here at Liberty Baptist Church. You can be real here. And I understand, obviously, in a, in a church this size, in a crowd this size, there's still going to be some people who are resistant to things like this. And, and, and no doubt there's people in here right now, you think depression, right away it means that you're far from God, you don't trust God, you're not spiritual or you're spiritual lazy. I, I get that because I used to think that way. That's how I was trained, and I ask you once again just to be open to it. But I do know this is a safe place to be able to be real about your struggle. I mean, if the pastor is okay with one of his assistant pastors being open with the fact that I struggle with anxiety, I can very easily go to depressive thoughts. Sometimes I have to take some extra time off, and, and every once in a while I'll take what I call a counseling sabbatical, and, and, and I just need to take breaks, and I need to be very intentional with my self-care and things like that. And, and, and as he said, there's some, still, there's some things that I still struggle with to this day, and your pastor says, okay, for a man like this, 
to be at the pulpit and open the word of God, you're in a pretty safe place to be human. Can we get to a place that I've had three back surgeries? And, and for me to, to ask for prayer for my back, I mean, it doesn't give me any anxiety. Nobody would, would think anything of that. But I believe we can get to a place that, that people can come to a church and just as readily ask for prayer for their depression or anxiety as someone like me would ask for prayer for their back trouble or somebody else with that, their diabetes. Can we normalize it? I, I believe we can. I think we could break the stigma. I think it would help us if, if, we, if there was just a little bit more transparency. And I understand my transparency might be uncomfortable for a lot of people. We're not used to that kind of thing, right? And, uh, but we're so used to, here's the thing, with social media, and not against social media, I actually I enjoy social media, I have, I, have, I have fun with it. But the danger with social media is everybody shows their highlight reels, right? And so we're scrolling, highlight, highlight, highlight. And we're seeing our own blooper reels, right? We feel like we're living in this blooper world and everybody else is living in their highlight reel world and that's just not true. And when we're real, when we're transparent, when we build some true relationships and we open up our stories, right? And we give our testimonies of what God did in our lives and what God brought us through. It helps every single one of us remember, you know what? We're not all living in this highlight real world. We're all human and we all have our bloopers that we're dealing with, right? Mental Health Awareness Month. Can we get to a place where believers can be honest. I believe we can. And so we'll do that by taking a look at the scriptures. Does the Bible speak to mental health, depression, and anxiety? Oh, yes, it does. The verbiage is just different, but it's there if we know what we're looking for. And so we're going to look at the decline this morning, all right? I mean, we could, I want to look at some, uh, I guess, some more little known or things that we, we don't really think of. I mean, certainly we could think of great loss with Job, right? I mean, so you can be a man who's mature spiritually, who hates evil, who has a great testimony before God and man. God himself said that about Job, and he went through this deep loss, and it sent him spiraling down into some major, major depression, that can happen. We could talk about having an anger issue, and sometimes that's, that's the truth. It's very biblical. Hey, if you don't have control of your spirit, you're like a, a city that is broken down and without walls, and, and certainly if you have an anger problem, if you're, if you're wallowing in bitterness that could lead you down the road of depression, no doubt we could talk about that as well with, with, uh, with Jonah. Certainly he was angry, right, and he wanted God to kill him. And we could talk about Judas, ended up killing himself. He betrayed Jesus Christ. How about don't betray Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? I mean, so we could go there, right? Don't betray Jesus Christ. Walk with him. Love him, right? But we're going to look at four other reasons that set people on this slope of decline. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd guide our time together, that it would be profitable. Um, Lord, that, that you would help. You would help us. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, first, Psalm 42.5, I believe we have a slide on that. Psalm 42.5 says this, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? That word cast down, interestingly, it means to sink or depress. Isn't that interesting? And why art thou disquieted in me? That word disquieted speaks of a noise or commotion inside. Hope thou in God. So here's the thing. So those who have been depressed, they understand that feeling of being sunken, of just being 
cast down, being beaten down, right? Those who deal with anxiety understand the noise and commotion inside. It feels like there's just never any peace. There's There's always something buzzing inside of us. Um, And so here we see in that first verse number five, we see what what therapists would call self-talk, right? And self-talk is very important to examine. We need to take a look at what we're saying to ourselves. And a good counselor will will ask a lot of questions at first and do a whole lot of listening and and try to figure out what the person who's struggling is saying to themselves. And here we see the self-talk of the psalmist. Why am I cast down? Why, why, Why am I sunken? Why am I depressed? Why is there this constant noise inside of me? I just can't get to a place of peace. But we see here in verse number six, it does have to shift from self-talk to talking to God. Verse number six says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. You see here, he hasn't gotten any answers yet, right? He hasn't gotten any answers yet. He doesn't know why he's cast down. He doesn't know why he's disquieted, but at least he's taken the step of not just talking to himself, but now taking it to God, right? Now taking to God. Now remember, here's a big key with the issue of mental health. A lot of times people come to something like this or they, 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 come to, they, they go to somebody for counsel and they're looking for this one big truth to, 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 jet, to jettison them into this climb out of depression, right? And here's the one thing, right? I, it, it's too easy and overly simplistic to say, okay, here's the thing. I got to stop talking to myself and start talking to God and that's going to cure me. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what the Bible's saying here, right? It's, it's seldom, seldom, if ever, one thing that helps the sufferer out of the pit. Usually it's a package of truths, a package of principles, a package of things that we implement in our life every single day, a package of changes. Sometimes they're minor at first, a, a series of steps, and sometimes they're baby steps. But don't forget, baby steps are still steps forward, right? Right? And so here's the beginning, shifting that self-talk to talking to God. But what I'd like to see, just address real quick, is why do we get cast down? Right? Why, how, how, does, how do we get sunken? And how do we get this noise inside? Well, there's something, we have an organ that can go wacky called the brain. Do you realize the brain is, is, a, is a part of the body? Right? You realize our, our thoughts and emotions, they're not just these abstract forces hanging out in the cosmos, right? You realize that we are designed by God and we're literal in here electricity, neurons, neurochemicals, energy just going through this thing, right? And, and, and we are, we're literal chemicals. And sometimes these things can go out of whack. We consider uh, a choir. I love, I love music, I love directing a choir, right? And you think of the brain like a choir, right? So the first part you'd like to consider, uh, there, there's, there's, there's got to be a director, right? And the director is keeping time and beat, and there's instrumentalists that need to know upbeats and downbeats and different things like that, and, 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 and understanding dynamics and, and, and all those things, and keeping all the parts in balance, right? And so typically with the choir, um, you have a... Um, a a soprano section, and let's just say this is the soprano section right here, and the soprano section usually keeps the the melody, and they they tend to be a little bit more prominent, right? Then you've got the alto section, and and they bring out some deep notes and some really cool harmonies, right? And then you've got the tenors, and the tenors are just the most awesome thing in the world musically, (laughs) right? 
Everybody loves tenors. They hit those power notes. They just bring out beautiful, beautiful stuff. Then you've got basses, and I don't even know why we have basses sometimes. Just kidding. I've just got a bass right here. All right. Um, they sing. All right. Um, just kidding. Basses, I love you. I do. And uh, um, but uh, I, 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 I lovingly call basses uh, like Cro-Magnon Man or Neanderthals. Right? They're, they're still evolving. I'm just kidding. Right? And so it's, it's the choir director's job to keep everything in proper balance, right? Usually it's the soprano section that's gonna be prominent because they're carrying the melody. But sometimes you've got a key change and you're, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna pop up some, some power and who do you need? You call on the tenors, come on. And so you bring the, the tenors come in and they're hitting some big notes, they're hitting some power notes and they're adding some power to that, right? They're hitting those high G's or A flat, whatever it is. But you can't stay there the whole time, right? It's just too much energy for all of us, right? So after a while, we gotta calm the tenors down, right? And bring the sopranos back into prominence, prominence and with the melody and all that. But let's say one Sunday, the tenors decide, you know what? Everybody loves us, right? More tenors, who doesn't want more tenor? And then that PowerPoint, that power part comes and that key change and that, that inversion of the harmony goes and they're starting those hitting those big things, but it's now time to bring it back down. That bridge is all done and the choir director's kind of trying to bring the, the tenors back down. And, Right? But the tenors won't chill out. They're staying, they're, they're staying big. What, what would happen? Now all of a sudden we're in balance and it just wouldn't, it would sound weird. It would sound weird. So our brain have different, different sections. Think of the prefrontal cortex of our brain as the choir director. It's the rational part of the brain. It's the boss of the brain, right? The prefrontal cortex is what keeps all the different sections in perfect harmony, right? All right? And the soprano section, let's say the soprano section is, is the thalamus of the brain. Now the thalamus is in charge of um, taking in sensory information. It's always working. And the nice thing about that, it's completely involuntary, right? Do you understand? Our bodies do things without, without us consciously thinking about it, right? I, wouldn't it be annoying if we had to go through life, say, inhale, blink, exhale, blink, blink, inhale, blink, exhale, right? I mean, that would be so annoying, but the brain just takes care of that. And the thalamus is one of those things. It's always taking in sensory information. Here's the cool thing about how God designed our brain. It's always asking the question, am I safe, right? And when, our, when we're healthy, that's not a big deal, right? It's just asking a question. So it, it's our, our thalamus is always one step ahead of us, right? And so you haven't even thought about it, but you've got your peripheral vision, right? And you're not even, you, you weren't thinking about it until now, right? And so until I pointed it out, your brain has already taken into account your environment and is looking for perceived threats. And so now you're thinking about it. Right? So before you thought about it, your thalamus looked, uh, you know, looked uh, to your sides and said, okay, is that guy a threat? Can I, I can take him. We're good. Right? right? Now you're thinking about it. It's like, yeah, I can take him. That's no problem. Right? But, you know, so, I mean, so there's different things. It's, 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 it's peripheral vision. It's, it's smell. It's sounds and things like that. And, and it takes this stuff in and it sends it to different parts of the brain. And, and there's different parts of the brain that are ready to go without us having to think about it. All right? Let's, uh, let's take the bases over here. The bases, let's say, the bases are like the hippocampus of the brain. The hippocampus came to prominence with a, a, a Supreme Court justice. She talked about the hippocampus, if you remember that. Indelible in the hippocampus, she said. Just, it's the memory center of the brain, right? The hippocampus is amazing. It stores stuff. 
for a long, long time. And it works in conjunction with the thalamus. And so sometimes the thalamus can take in a smell. Let's say tater tots. Love tater tots, right? And all of a sudden, it, it, it communicates with the hippocampus, and the hippocampus says, second grade cafeteria, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you haven't thought about second grade. I mean, you're like me, you're approaching 50, and seriously, a smell can take you back to second grade, right? We've all experienced that, right? And all of a sudden, you're back at your elementary school, you're eating this terrible food you thought it was pretty good back then, Remember back then, if you're a Gen Xer like me, you had your choice. I loved school lunch because I, you, you can have chocolate milk every single lunch. And that was supposed to be healthy, right? So you could get your calcium, right? Now let's, let's talk about the, um, the amygdala. All right, say the altos are the amygdala. The altos are the emotion. <laughs> yeah, I'm altos. Um, yeah, they're a little emotional. I'm just kidding. Um, the, 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 the amygdala is the emotional center of the brain, the fear center of the brain, right? And, uh, and, and it's, it's designed by God. We're emotional creatures, right? We're afraid of our emotions for some reason, because we're Baptists usually, right? <laughs> right? But God designed us as emotional creatures. But we're supposed to be governed by this guy right here, the rational brain, right? And emotions are part of being human as well. It just, we, it can't take over our lives. That's where we get unhealthy. Tenors. Now, this is an exciting part of the brain, right? Tenors. And, and so there's a part of the brain that, uh, that, that triggers the fight or flight response. I got this backward. Sorry, sorry, tenors, you are the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain. The altos are what we'll call the dorsal, the dorsal vagal um, part of the brain. But the tenors are the uh, amygdala, that, that, that fear center. So sometimes, all right, so if we go through something bad in life, especially something traumatic, I remember our brains are trying to keep us safe. Our brains say, we don't want to go through that again. So it sets a really strong memory marker over here at the hippocampus, right? But sometimes, especially when a situation is, is super stressful, these memories can be a little bit disjointed, but it's still there, right? And so if something similar happens, remember the thalamus is taking this into account, it could be a sound. Years ago, in my previous church, a young man came back from, a, he's a marine, he came back from either um, Afghanistan or Iraq, I don't remember, but we were playing volleyball um, outside, and uh, driving through a parking lot was a motorcycle, and all of a sudden it's loud backfire, right? And he hit the ground. Oh, I, I still, re still remember, um, I still remember this to the day, and, and I, I think we all, we, none of us knew what to do, didn't want to maybe call attention to it, but we all saw it happen. I remember him just picking himself up and dusting himself off, and we all just kind of, tried to pretend like it didn't happen. Now I wish I could go back and just put my arm around him and say, hey, man, you saw some stuff over there, didn't you? Right? He saw some stuff that is set in here, right? The thalamus takes it in and says, danger. Amygdala took over and says, we need to flee. We need to keep ourselves safe. And he hit the ground just like that. Now the rest of us, we don't have anything like that in our hippocampus, right? Thalamus takes it in, communicates over there. What's this sound that's going on? The rest of us, it was like automotive backfire, not a big deal for most of us, right? And it processes like this and we just kind of move on. But some people, and it could be, you could, there's going to be people sitting in here. You've got a sensitivity to a sound. You've got a sensitivity to a smell. 
You've got a sensitivity to the way you're touched. You may have a sensitivity to some specific words. You've got a sensitivity to maybe the sight of a person. You have a sensitivity to an animal. You have a sensitivity to a song. You have some type of sensitivity that is set in here that sets this off. And we're all sitting in here with different triggers. Maybe you don't have them. Maybe, and praise God for that. But maybe something like this, just understanding how the brain works, maybe just give us all a little bit more patience and grace and understanding and compassion for one another. Because we all have different stuff in here because we've all lived different lives. Right? We're all different. It doesn't make us worse or better. It just makes us different. And so this part, the amygdala, the fear response center, can turn us can, can go wacky on us and can go off on, in inappropriate ways. But depending on the trauma that you've been in your life, it could be that this part of the brain is constantly buzzing. It's a little bit oversensitive. Think about it as your, the smoke alarm in your house, right? You, you, you know who's cooking based upon if the smoke alarm is, is, <laughs> is doing its thing, right? It's like, oh, so-and-so's cooking again, right? Okay. And just think of the, the amygdala that's, been, that's gone through some deep trauma, some deep hurt, is an oversensitive smoke alarm, right? Now, for the rest of us, we don't go off. We don't get triggered by some things that other people do, but it's just buzzing just a little bit. Why art thou disquieted within me? That's why. That's the noise. It's this part of the brain. But then there's also this interesting part of the brain, the dorsal vagal area of the brain. Do you understand that the survival mode We've always thought of it as fight or flight. But understand there's also freeze. Fight, flee, or freeze. Sometimes the brain is taking a look and says, you know what, the best way for me to survive is just to shut down and not move and just kind of try to blend into the environment. That's another way that the brain is trying to protect us. And it's that dorsal vagal part of the brain that says, okay, we're gonna shut down, we're gonna be as quiet and and, and we're not going to move. We're going to be immobile for a little while. And that's why some people just can't, their, their emotions are kind of shut down and they can't feel joy like a lot of us do. Why art thou cast down? Sometimes it's this part of the brain that's just been cast down. And because their brains are now in survival mode, they're just kind of like this and not knowing what to do next. Why art thou cast down? Why art thou disquieted within me? So this is what happens in the brain. And I'm not saying, I mean, we can, it's okay. This is, a, this is all observable stuff. Now with neuroscience, we know, we know so much about the brain, so much more than we've ever known. There's still so much to learn, obviously. But nobody's saying that because we acknowledge the physical limitations of our bodies, nobody's saying that we should just default to medicating everybody. I'm not saying that. Nobody's saying that. I mean, so for example, if you have high blood pressure, you know, maybe you should take medication, right? That's, that's your choice. You should pray about that, talk to your doctor about it, but maybe you should have less fried chicken, right? I mean, let's try some lifestyle changes first, right? And see, start exercising or whatever, right? Have, eat less donuts, and that's, that's a very painful thing for me to say out loud, right? I mean, but maybe there's some lifestyle changes that we can go through, and the same thing with our bodies. Hey, hey, our brains have been through some stuff, and right now you feel, you might feel like you're stuck in this survival mode or this, or, or, or this freeze mode or what have you, but you're not stuck with your brain. You can get better. 
you can heal. No, I'm not saying you could, depending on what you've been through, that you be exactly the same person that you were pre-trauma. I'm certainly not. I'm different. And, and, and it's a daily struggle of, of growth to be comfortable and be accepting of the man that God has, I believe, has chosen me and made me to be. But same with you. God wants to use you, scars and all. He does. But certainly we need, there, there's some things that we need to manage in our lives. So why art thou cast down? Here's the decline. Let me show you a couple things. All right, I'm going to show you just four examples in Scripture. Would you go to Numbers chapter 11 real quick? Numbers chapter 11. Right, just four examples of the decline. There are different reasons for it, right? But this could be one. Pastor talked about this recently. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses is trying to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And there are some bumps in the road, right? People are going through, uh, God, God, is, God is providing for these people. In Numbers chapter 11, verse number 1, it says here, And when the people complained, well, watch this, it displeased, it, it displeased the Lord. Be careful, right? Let's be a, a grateful, content people, all right? So it displeased the Lord first and foremost, but this really bothered the leadership, really bothered Moses. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Would you look at verse number 5? Here's what they're complaining about, right? Verse number four, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? You know what they're crying about? They want meat. That's literally what they're crying about. And I get that. I love meat. Meat tastes good, right? I do. I love meat. If you took away meat, yeah, I think I might cry, right? I think I might. Right? But look at what they got here. We remember the fish, but come on, they, they had fish, right? And all the Filipinos were like, yeah, they had fish. And I said, they're fine. They're all, they're all set, right? And they even had stuff to season it with, which we did eat in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Come on, we've got a pretty good recipe going with this fish, right? And now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all. Isn't that how we are? We just go to extremes so fast. They've got fish, garlic and onions, good to go, right? Certainly, of course, I'd like to have a rice cooker and rice alongside of it, but you know, I've got fish and leeks and all that stuff, right? They've got this stuff that they're listed and said, but we have nothing at all except, except this, beside this manna before our eyes, right? God has provided them manna, right? And, and so here's the thing, here's the thing about God. Now remember when they're trudging through, the, uh, trudging through the wilderness, God provides this manna for them to eat, but he doesn't drop it right into their camp. You notice that? He drops the manna outside of their camp. So they still had some work to do. There was still some personal responsibility involved. He could have dropped the manna right into the camp, right? But he dropped it outside of the camp. Why? So the people of Israel still had to get up, Walk outside of the camp, pick up the manna, bring it back into the camp, and turn it into cake. Right? So it wasn't super hard, but it was still some effort, and it was still something that they were responsible for. Now, here's the thing with depression and anxiety. It's very seldom this one little thing, one little truth that wakes us up. There's some stuff that we're responsible for as believers, as people. 
right? You can be equipped, you can be encouraged, but at the same time, we need to take the steps ourselves to do what needs to be done to heal. There's always personal responsibility involved, and so is the responsibility. God could have dropped it in their lap, but they had to do something. That's biblical. The Bible says in all labor there is profit. There's some work to be done. If you're not depressed and you're just trying to walk with God, right? There's some stuff you've got to do. Maybe you need to wake up a little bit early in the morning and walk with God. Maybe you need to stay up a little bit later and walk with God. It's on you. It's personal responsibility, right? Keep on going. So they're, they're, uh, they're complaining. Verse number 10, then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door. Verse number 11, and Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? Verse number 12, and then Moses starts to get a little bit snippy with God. Have I conceived all this people? It's like, I'm not their dad. You ever work with young people, right? And man, they're just giving you trouble. And he's like, man. I would spank him if I could, Lord, but it's not scriptural, right? That's what he's saying. I'm not their dad. Have I conceived all this people? Verse number 13, when should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh. Verse number 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. So here's, here's the key. Here's what's giving Moses trouble. All right? Verse number 15. For, and if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee out of hand. Here's Moses, a man of God, chosen by God to lead God's people out of Israel. And he's come to a place where he says, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Just kill me. Just kill me. What happened? Verse number 14. I'm not able to bear all this people alone. Here's the first thing. Typical part of declining. Moses thought he needed to carry his burden alone. Moses thought he needed to carry his burden alone. You know what COVID did? COVID brought these issues and this subject to the forefront, right? Because we did everything wrong. We did everything wrong. We shut down. We quarantined, right? For the first time in history, we're quarantining the healthy, right? We were alone. We took a step back. We didn't have community. People didn't have these, these connections. And God designed us for connection and community. That's how God designed us, right? You know, in creation, God designed some animals to be, to, to be by themselves, right? Not this part of creation. We're designed to be in community, all of humanity. And then we shut everything down. We took away this, so, this, this, this important characteristic of the human race is to be able to be in community and to be in a one another ministry all the time, Right? We're not meant to be alone. And so here's the thing. So Moses is, is absolutely honest with God. I can't do this alone, right? And here's one of those sacred cows. God doesn't give you anything you can't handle, right? We're going to blow that one out of the water tonight too, all right? God doesn't give you, hey, all you need is God, right? It's just stuff that like, it sounds so spiritual, but it's actually, it's not. It's not. If you're comfortable with that, come back tonight. I'll explain, all right? But if that's true, then God is certainly going to wreck him right now, right? He said it. I can't do it. Just kill me. I can't do it. But then look at God. Let's just get to know God, huh? Verse number 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men, 70 men of the elders of Israel, 
whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them into the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand with, stand there with thee. Moses says, I can't do it by myself. God said, that's true. So we're going to find 70 men, and they're going to help you. They're going to help you carry this burden. Galatians chapter 6, we'll go into a little bit more with more detail tonight about burden bearing, right? There are some loads that are too heavy to carry by yourself. This was one of them for, for Moses. And oftentimes we just take on too much. Sometimes we're just doing too much in life, right? Oftentimes people will come to me, it, it, it in particular happens with men. Oh, Pastor Jay, Brother Jay, I don't, man, I didn't go through what you went through. And I don't know, I didn't happen. I, I, I didn't, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just down. I'm just so heavy. I don't have any motivation. I can't get out of bed, all these different things. And you start asking. They didn't have a traumatic event. They didn't have a deep loss. And you start asking enough questions. And one of the questions, one of the first questions I asked is, do you have a hobby? Seems silly, right? I mean, what do you do for fun, right? Well, I read. What do you read about? Read about stuff that has to do with work. Right? Well, what do you do to release stress? Right? Sometimes we're just doing too much. There's such a thing. Sometimes we're just doing too much. And so in life, what we, what we try to do with people who are struggling, and maybe they didn't have this one thing, but it's just a number of things that are cascading and it's just snowballing and there's just too much stress in their life. First thing that we need to do, if you're struggling right now, you just have this heaviness, you're lacking motivation, you can't sleep, all these different things. Maybe you're doing too much. So first of all, we need to work on is stress relief. Do less stuff if you can. Right? Work with people in ministry, in particular pastors. Um, they're just doing too much. They don't know how to delegate. You don't have to be doing all this stuff. You've got an assistant. You've got deacons. You've got people who care about you that want to help you. You just need to open up, right? And sometimes you're just doing too much. And maybe someone in here, maybe you're not even in full-time ministry, but you're doing too much. There's something that you can delegate to somebody. But it could be that where you are in life, I mean, you have to work the, four, the 50 hours a week, right? You have to do. You've got these responsibilities. And so if you can't relieve yourself of the stress, then we go to stress release, right? And so do less if you can. But then if you can, you're doing your best to get some better balance in life. And so now we're talking about from stress relief to stress release. So you have to work that job, you have to work that many hours, and it's a stressful environment, then you need to do something to release the stress of your work environment. That's where a hobby comes in. That's where exercise comes in. That's where sunshine comes in. That's where chamomile tea comes in, right? <laughs> There's different things that we could do to help our bodies recover because it's stress that's the killer on the brain that moves the balance of power from the choir director which is rational and logical to these parts of the brain that are more reactive and emotional. So you find yourself a little bit more on edge, it's because of these parts of the brain. It's stress that's causing that. Acute stress is fine. Chronic stress is the killer. And a lot of times when people are struggling, just need to find better balance in life. Can I show you another one? Would you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 19? Show these to you quickly, we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 19. So Moses thought he needed to carry his burden alone. We're carrying this stuff that we shouldn't be carrying. Or if you have to carry it, ask for help. And just do some things in life that will release the stress that's in your body that's just making, driving you crazy, right? 2 Kings chapter 19. Elijah 
just had this great victory in, verse, in chapter number 18. Right? So he, he goes on this swing from great victory to all of a sudden his life is in danger. Right? And these big emotional swings in life, they're really hard on our brains. They're really hard. You go from victory to all of a sudden this tragic event, right? Or this really bad hardship. And then we're, we're going to see this in Elijah. Would you look at verse number, verse number one? And Ahab told Je Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Look at verse number two. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I not make thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time, Elijah, he, he slew the false prophets. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And came to Beersheba, this is Elijah running now, and be which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Hold on. So here's just a quick side note. Remember, we're not meant to be to do this alone. Typically, you study the Old Testament, and these Old Testament prophets, they typically had a servant. It was kind of their, their sidekick, right? Their wingman. There was usually somebody that traveled with them and served alongside them. And I know because we see the word servant, we think that, oh, they're, you know, they're like their butler. No, that, was not, that wasn't just the case. It was also their companion. And so what he did in this time of trouble, he left his servant. Now he goes running off by himself, not wise. When you're going through some deep hurt and pain, the last thing you want to do is isolate. The last thing you want to do is pull away from church, pull away from your small group. The last thing you want to do is pull away from people. That was, a, that was the first step in his decline, right? But I want to show you the main thing here. Look at verse number, verse number 11. Skip down to verse number 11. So he goes into the wilderness, right? Finds himself in this, uh, in this cave. Verse number 11, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind. I'm sorry, verse number 4. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. Just be careful when you sit under vegetation. You see it in the Bible, right? And he requested for himself that he might die. There it is. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. Here it is. For or because I am not better than my father's. So we see Moses decline, and he thought he needed to carry his burden alone. Here's Elijah. Elijah compared himself to others. It really wasn't the fact. He, he's, he's being totally honest. It wasn't the fact that, that, that now he's running for his life. That wasn't the big thing, right? That obviously didn't help, right? It, wasn't, it didn't help that, that, he, that he left his servant. Now he's by himself. That certainly doesn't help. And so the, so the Lord just asked him straight out, what are you doing here in this cave? And he says, here's, his, here's what's giving him his trouble. I'm not better than my father's. Elijah compared himself to others. You know, the Bible says very clear about what we do when we compare ourselves to one another? The Bible says it's not wise, right? Because if we compare ourselves to each other, we will never measure up. There's always somebody stronger. There's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody who's a better singer. And I love that my, my kids are, are, are very gifted and love singing with them. And, and really one of the, the great gifts of coming to Liberty, of course, I pray for their humility. I just thank God for someone like Sandy. She sings and puts us all in our place, right? <laughs> like, we are not that good. Amen? There's always somebody better. Amen? And so when we compare ourselves among each, uh, ourselves, we will never measure up. But when we come to church with the sole purpose, here's the agenda, to behold the beauty of God. When you get into your Bible every single day, and you're not looking for a list of things to do, but it's with the sole agenda 
of beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ and get, just getting to know him, and you just see the beauty of Jesus Christ every single day, there's no pressure to measure up because you can't ever measure up to Jesus, right? So stop comparing yourselves to someone else. And a lot of times we have deep losses in life, whether it's the loss of a job, and it hits us really hard. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to someone else. That's the truth. Someone else who's advancing in that career. Someone else is doing something else, you know, who's doing something great. Or, or maybe we're having some familial um, problems, and, and our kids are maybe being kids. They're being human, and, 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 and it really bothers. And don't get me wrong, of course, we need to be burdened for our kids, but we could really beat ourselves up. And what is typically going on in our, our hearts and our minds is like we see other kids doing so well. It's comparison, and we'll never measure up. It's a killer. It's a killer. Would you go to another one? Would you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I told you four, I'm going to finish at three here and maybe hit number four tonight. All right? So Elijah compared himself to others. I want to go ahead and give you this point here and we'll look at this verse. Paul was worn out by trouble. Quote, unquote, trouble. Paul was worn out by trouble. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. This is big. For we would not, brethren... Have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia? He says, you know what? I, it's really important that you know how much we've gone through. Right? That's good. It's good for us as believers to know what people go through. I, I, I think we were so tight-lipped about ours. We, we feel like we shouldn't talk about our stuff. And here we have it right here in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of all the stuff we've gone through. It's okay. We see it. It's biblical to talk about our stuff with other people, particular believers, our church family, right? For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. This is Paul speaking. Arguably, arguably the greatest human being to ever live, a Christian, other than Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he was, he was used of God greatly, and there was a point in his life where he says he despaired even of life. Wow. And what was it? He, he, he went through a whole lot of trouble. We don't have time to turn there. If you'd like to study this out, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists out a whole bunch of traumatic events that he'd gone through. He was, he'd been shipwrecked. You ever been in a car accident? Right? That could affect you for the rest of your life. I'm going to talk about that tonight, the car accident I was in last year. Last, uh, last year. To this day, I have trouble making right-hand turn, right, right turns in, in a dedicated pocket. My heart will just kind of race a little bit. To this, it's been over a year, right? It's not that I don't trust God to keep me safe. There's something over here in my hippocampus that's not necessarily in your hippocampus, and you're totally fine making right-hand turns. I have a little bit of trouble with it. I'll talk about that tonight. But so Paul had gone through not just one car accident, He'd been shipwrecked a number of times. He was beaten three times, almost to death one time. He'd been in prison often, and he'd been robbed a number of times. Traumatic event after traumatic event, tra trauma, 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 trauma. And then also he, he, he talks very clearly, very openly. He says, beside those things which are without. He says, I'm not talking about things that are outside of me, inside of me. You could look it up, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, something around there. He says, the care of all the churches. He's talking about the care, the anxieties. Paul's human. You don't go through that much trauma without making it mark in your brain. 
And I think it's very clear, in my opinion, that when he talks about a thorn in his flesh, the messenger of Satan, it was messages, was his thorn in his flesh. It was some type of mental anguish and very likely could have been some type of traumatic anxiety that was going through. I mean, list it all there. And this is the care of all the churches, and he calls it infirmity, which literally means illness or disease or sickness. It's right there with Paul. Paul was worn out by trouble. Lots of stuff. And you see there in verse number eight, it says it very clear. It says, we were pressed out of measure above strength. It was more than, than his human strength can handle, and, and it brought him to a place of just absolute despair. And so sometimes life hits us with a bunch of stuff, and then we just start to really be sad or overwhelmed or frustrated, and then we kick ourselves while we're down because we assume, hey, I'm a believer. This stuff shouldn't, this shouldn't bother me. I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? I'm walking with God, so of course I'm going to have joy, 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 joy down in my heart to stay, right? But then the joy didn't stay. And then all of a sudden we're thinking, what happened to me? I promise you, I get it because I was there. I'd been discouraged before. I had. But then when this depression thing hit me, it scared me because it was something I'd never experienced in my life. July 26, 2014 was a day that literally changed my life. I had been a youth pastor for 22 years and had, have had the joy of, of, of being a part of lives of many young people, not in my youth group, but even through camp. And I've known Janelle forever. This man, my friend here, Angel, I'm going to introduce you to him in just a little bit, was in my youth group in July 26 of 2014. It took my last missions trip as a, as a youth pastor. And just having a, a fun day at the, at the end of the trip, we went, to, we went to the beach and had a bonfire and the Young people went out into the water, and of course, I went to the water myself and just checked everything, and I, I, I considered the, the, the depth of the young people and, 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 and where I was standing right there at the surf line at the shore. They, they weren't too deep, um, and then I, I considered the, the power of the waves, and nobody was getting jostled around or violently or anything like that, and, and of course, I looked for outcroppings, and, and there, was, there was nothing that was of any danger to the young people, and I, I stood there for many, many minutes and just enjoyed them. And, but for whatever reason, I promise you I was walking with God. I promise you every single day I asked God for guidance. And I promise you I had the mindset in my heart as a youth pastor, I would give my lives for these young people. We'd taken 15, 16 different missions trips. And that was my heart. I loved them as my own. But for whatever reason that day, I considered so many factors, but I never considered a rip current. The rip current pulled out my young people that were out in the water, and some of them had uh, the presence of mind to swim parallel to the shore and come back. And one young man, one of the, great, one of the best Christians I've ever known, teenager otherwise, named Paul, very athletic, very talented young man. He was like a big brother to my kids. You could, uh, my son Jeremy sang on the, on the music team here. You could, you could ask Jeremy about him or Jason and, and uh, Angel and just a, a fabulous Christian. He made it back to shore and he turned around and he saw Angel here being pulled out to shore, pulled out, pulled out to sea. And he went back out for Angel, right? His Angel's best friend, Paul. And it wasn't Angel's appointment with death. Angel got pulled back to shore with Paul's help, and Paul went back for another young man by the name of Justin. 
another young man that's still a friend of mine to this day and we keep in contact. And Justin and Angel were both drowning and I, I share this with his, with his blessing. And what Angel told me and both Angel and Justin told me when you're drowning, it's terrifying, it's just pure terror, right? It's just absolute pure terror. And there came a point where Angel told me he lost all strength and just gave up trying to swim and just let himself sink. And it went from terror to peace. Isn't that interesting? You know where that peace came from? Is Angel knowing that he was saved and he was going to wake up in the arms of Jesus. I'm going to say this. You can get that anxiety, eternity anxiety. You can get that settled today and have that kind of peace. Know Jesus Christ is your Savior and know that heaven is your home. And set us both on a journey of healing that's taken many, many years. And we've never been the same. But we're getting better. Right? We're getting better. We're healing. Right? We're different, but it's a good difference. Sometimes we're frustrated with the different that we are, but it's a good different. Right? And you may not have gone through something like that. Once again, don't compare. Your pain is real. Your pain is important to Jesus, and he loves you. He wants to heal you, and he wants to use you. He does. He does. And you can get better. You will get better. Cry out for help. You're not meant to do it yourself, right? Remember Moses, he says, I can't do it by myself. God says, okay, I got 70 people to help you. And don't feel bad if it takes 70 people to help you. It's okay, right? I got knocked down. I tried to get up myself. I couldn't. I needed help. So the bottom line, still to this day, I need help, right? Elijah was comparing, stop comparing. You'll never measure up to anyone here. The only person that matters is Jesus Christ. We could be at peace that will never measure up to him, but he's beautiful and he loves me in spite of everything he knows about me, right? Then even Paul just went through a lot of stuff. Sometimes we just go through a lot of stuff and it weighs on us. It's even we could despair of life. And just be honest and acknowledge it. And Paul gets to a place where he says, this is my infirmity. This is my, and I will glory in my infirmities. I know that's a hard one. The glory in your infirmities. But you can. You can. You can get better. And you will get better. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.